You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Scott and Keisha. Uh, beautifully stated about the Hunzikers. Thank the Lord for their ministry in Italy and their ministry worldwide, their ministry specifically in our lives. Um, I spoke with Joe for about an hour, not this past week, but the week before, and was blessed and started thinking about things in a different way. One of the beautiful things was we're talking about missions and laying a very firm foundation, I might say, as we think about missions. But one of the blessings of meeting believers around the world is that they look at the very same thing that we do and they mean the same thing when they talk about it, but they say it in such a way that your understanding is deepened. about whatever it is we are talking about. Uh, So that has happened many times when I speak with Joe and Stefania and Aaron and Joya and Mattia. I I see things a little bit differently, and it's a a shade differently, but it's the shade is richness. It's a shade richer because of speaking with them. A lot of we've been praying for a lot of you. This week, praying for Micah Bart and praying for others who have been through kind of a difficult week. Uh, so just be, we need a lot of people in the body praying for other folks uh, in the body. So please be on the lookout when Faith Life, when we get a prayer request on Faith Life, please be praying for these folks. Well, so glad you're here. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace, and we are delighted that you have chosen to be with us. If this is your first time, especially, thank you for coming. And I want to begin by asking for those of you who were saved during or after your teenage years, do you recall the sense of excitement that you received when all of a sudden a book that had been closed to you began to make sense? Do you remember how excited you were when a verse or a passage that had previously sounded like a foreign language, now all of a sudden, it's like, I get it. I see it. And now it felt like God's love flowing directly to your heart. And even the words of caution and warning you now began to see were evidence of God's tender care for you. You remember that? Maybe you were saved at a young age, but you remember that time when all of a sudden a psalm made sense to you or a New Testament passage suddenly came alive. Do you remember when you first understood an important concept such as the covenant nature of God's dealings with his people? He deals with us like a family, like a a bride and a groom that that make a covenant with one another in front of people. Now God treats us with this covenant love and care. Do you remember when you started seeing that all the way through Scripture or what it means that Jesus 
came as the Lamb of God and he sacrificed himself for our sins. It was according to the Father's plan. And how the gospel is far richer and broader and deeper than simply the Roman road plan of salvation. Even with your newfound understanding, you were and are always learning and growing in your understanding of God's ways as he is revealed to us in his word. Well, the the apostles, just imagine being one of the 11 who were left after Judas betrayed Jesus. Imagine how they felt when he was crucified and imagine how they felt when they saw the resurrected Christ. We're going to learn in our text this morning that Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples between the resurrection and his ascension. And he was teaching them about how the Old Testament was always pointing to him. He was also talking with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. They had some questions, though, about the kingdom that they weren't quite clear on. I'm guessing that some of you, after last week's sermon on the kingdom of God, have some questions of your own. Uh, You are in good company because the disciples were like, okay, I think we get it. Now, what is this it? So we're ready for our text, Acts 1, 1 through 11, which was written by Luke and addressed to, possibly dedicated to, Theophilus. Now, who was Theophilus? Could have been a government official. That's probably the one that I've heard the most over the years. But he could have been a patron who had financed Luke's research in preparation for writing his own account. First of all, about the the birth, uh, ministry, life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ in, 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 in Luke's gospel. And then he also wrote to Theophilus about the Lord's work of establishing his church. Jesus' continued work of establishing his church throughout the world, primarily through the ministry of the apostles who were empowered by the Holy Spirit for that work. And then, of course, by extension, that goes right down to today in the work that we do. We know that account as the book of Acts. So Luke tells about Jesus' birth through his resurrection and and ascension. And then Luke begins essentially with the resurrection in those 40 days right after and goes all the way to Paul in Rome. And did you realize this? I don't think I knew this until this week in preparation for this, that Luke and Acts together, what percentage of the New Testament do you think that takes? Over 25%. Over a quarter of the New Testament is found in Luke and Acts. So hopefully we'll get more answers about the kingdom of God this morning in Acts 1, 1 through 11. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Acts 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, the Gospel of Luke... I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them. And that word sort of gives the impression that he was in and out. He was coming and going. He was appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So he still had questions about the kingdom. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let me, let me just say this because I'm not going to mention this later today. Could it be that one of the reasons that every generation is convinced that the Lord's return is near so that we are always looking for his return? You think, okay... Look at what's going on in Europe. Look at what's going on here and there. And you say, well, this is it. Well, when the Spanish Armada was defeated, the people of Britain were like, this is it. He's coming. When America was founded, they gave certain... We always think that. And that's a good thing. That is a really good thing. But it's not for us to know the times and seasons. Now he says later, don't be caught as a thief in the night. You know, you, or he comes as a thief in the night. Don't, don't be caught unawares. Be looking for him. But just know that he will come and establish that kingdom fully in his timing. But you, Jesus told the apostles in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where you are, in all Judea, not only in Lillington, but in the whole of Harnett County, and Samaria. That's got to be Johnson County. <laughs> uh, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him. Out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven. As he went. Behold. Two men stood by them in white robes. Angels. And said. Men of Galilee. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. Will come in the same way. As you saw him go. Into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And you be seated. Well, last Sunday morning, the message ended with three points of application that cover both messages last weekend this Sunday about the kingdom of God, which already exists but has not yet come in its fullness. So I want to list these points again, and then we'll work through the passage before returning to hit these a little more fully. We receive the kingdom of God. We do not build it. Our message and our task are urgent. Even though it's something we receive, we got a big role to play in the kingdom. And what we have to say and the task we have are urgent. But as we go, we can rest in God's sovereign rule over world events and personal circumstances. And that is a great thing. 
We'll come back to these points again, but it's time for a quiz. If you were thinking about, uh, a, a, if you were taking a test that was meant to reveal what it is in Scripture that you think about the most and that you've thought about the most, how would you answer this question, the following question? Which of the following aspects of Jesus' life and ministry have you thought about the least? The events surrounding Jesus' birth, B, Jesus' teaching ministry to the disciples between his resurrection and ascension, C, Jesus cleansing the temple. D, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, the answer is obvious. I wish I could do a Vicente there, you know. It's obvious. (laughs) B, Jesus' teaching ministry to the disciples between his resurrection and ascension. Have you ever thought about how it was that Peter who was so confused about many things, preached so well on Pentecost. Do you think he was just in a trance and the Lord spoke through him? I don't think so at all. The Holy Spirit surely led and spoke through Peter, but Peter was not sharing information he had not thought about and prepared at some level to share. When he starts quoting Joel And and the Psalms, he's been thinking about this. Jesus has been teaching him. The disciples and Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus and other men and women all got together and they talked about these things. There are a few places in the Gospels that tell us about Jesus' interaction with his disciples after the resurrection. Interaction, that is, that was beyond his initial appearance to them in the room where they were hiding On the night that Jesus rose from the dead. In John 21, Jesus prophesied about Peter and John's ministries. He said it's going to be like this. In Luke 24, Jesus taught Cleopas and his companion that the whole of the Old Testament was pointing to his suffering and his resurrection. You should have seen this, Jesus was saying to them. And when were their eyes open? When he broke bread, as we will do. Today, at the table, Acts 1 tells us that Jesus spent 40 days, 40 days making appearances to them and teaching them about the kingdom. God's kingdom in scripture always refers to God's reign and his rule. So if the kingdom is already, but not yet, we can't expect the entire world To submit to God's reign and rule. But as believers, as followers, as members of this kingdom. We absolutely are called to submit to his rule in our lives. If you will recall from our study of John's gospel. Jesus taught his disciples about the Holy Spirit. The night before he was arrested and then crucified the next day. I imagine the apostles thought something along the lines of. Okay, the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not quite sure what that is, but I, 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 I accept that. I believe it. I'm, I'll receive it. Uh, say, are you going to establish your kingdom, Jesus? I mean, look, we're in Jerusalem. We're having the Passover meal. You saw the way people welcomed you as we came into town. This would be a great time to establish your kingdom. 
Now, what were you saying? Well, the Holy Spirit, that's right. Let me, okay, let me try to understand this. The disciples still had questions after the resurrection. Jesus returned there on the Mount of Olives to the topic of the Holy Spirit, informing them that they would be baptized with the Spirit not many days from then. The disciples were almost certain that Jesus would now begin his rule in his kingdom. After all, he was teaching them about the kingdom. They were sure they had it right this time. What the apostles did not understand just yet, but would soon, was that Jesus was going to build his church in the kingdom, in the kingdom that the apostles so longed to see, but it was not going to take the shape that they anticipated. We've got... Very fixed ideas about what the church looks like in a country like ours. But the shape of the church, it's not so much that the shape of the church changes, but the culture around us changes. And we have to think now, okay, let me try to understand what God is doing here. The disciples were were going to understand that this is an already kingdom but not yet fully established and the holy spirit would play a huge role in the establishment of the church serving as the foothold of jesus kingdom on earth i I love this scott was talking about the the ministry of isola in italy you can't imagine that most of the people in italy or many of the people think of that camp as a cult center and the people who believe Jesus in the way like we do, that Jesus is our only hope for heaven, are, are, are cult members. But Joe and Stefania and the, and the Hootensickers have, and, and the staff there have a beautiful ministry that attracts people to Jesus. As John Paul Hill has written, formally, this is beautiful, Formerly, the apostles had experienced the Spirit through the presence of Jesus. After Pentecost, they would experience Jesus through the presence of the Spirit. The beautiful Trinity that God, our God, is. The apostles did not yet understand all this in the interim period, so they asked If Jesus would establish his kingdom at that time. And Jesus replied in verse 7. Not for you to know. In Matthew 16 he had told them that the kingdom is God's doings. But they would have a big role to play. Especially Peter would have a big role to play in the establishment and spread of the gospel in the world. And then Acts 1.8. But you, all of you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Even though the Father is building the kingdom over which Jesus will rule through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' followers are to give witness to the rule. He rules, but we are privileged To give witness to his rule 
over the church and ultimately, eventually, over the world. We are to be witnesses to the nations. In Luke 10, when Jesus sent out 72 followers to, to proclaim that the Messiah had come, he encouraged them to trust the Lord for all of their needs, that the Lord would provide all of their needs. How would we feel if all of a sudden we lost our, our homes? We lost our jobs. We lost our, our retirement plans. We lost everything. That depends on how old you are, I suppose, as to how you would feel about that. But just imagine whatever <coughs> gives you most security in your life. Well, we'd say, well, I would trust the Lord. Yeah, it would be a lot more difficult having had the things that we have had, the the, the, the in, the, the trappings of security that we have enjoyed all these lives. But Jesus sent these 72 out saying, trust God to meet your needs. And if any receive you, if they receive the message that you bring to them, they receive me. If they reject you or they reject the message that you are bringing, then they reject me. That's a, that's a huge responsibility and a huge privilege to take this message of the kingdom to the world. And by the way, we need to share the gospel as much for judgment as for salvation. And I know that's difficult to think about. We don't like to think about God judging people. But it is the way that it is. And that word that we share is important for everyone to hear. So back to Acts chapter 1. If seeing the re resurrected Savior was not enough for the apostles, imagine how they felt when Jesus finished speaking and he began to rise, enveloped in the clouds. Well, enveloped with one cloud anyway. Don't you imagine one of the, at least one of the apostles said, of course, I, I, of course, this is happening. They understood that Jesus was going to heaven. And so they just, they couldn't look away. I, I would guess they were wondering what's going to happen next. I mean, I'm, I'm not taking my eyes off of that. I hope I don't blink. But angels brought their attention quickly back to earth, informing them that they needn't keep looking, that Jesus would come and implying he would come in his time in the same manner that he had left, in the clouds. But the Lord would not allow the disciples to lazily await his return. Implied in the angels' admonishment was that there was work to be done. So the apostles... Mary, the mother of Jesus, other men and women, went back to uh, Jerusalem and they went to this large upper room, maybe the same room where they had had the Passover meal, but they were all gathered together waiting for the Spirit, for the promised Spirit, and also, don't you know, discussing all that they had learned and doing theology in community. 
They were together talking about all the things that Jesus had said. And like the two, don't you know, Cleopas, 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 Cleopas. Well, you say it one way. Well, well, you know who I'm talking about. In Luke 24, don't you know that he and it was likely his wife who was his companion. Don't you know that they, along with others, said, did not our hearts burn within us as the Lord spoke to us? Acts 1.8 is the text from which Roy Lytle planned to preach last week. But will now preach, Lord willing, sometime in the spring. So I'm not going to spend time here. But next week's sermon will come from Matthew 28. Another place where the Great Commission uh, was given. The task was made very clear to the disciples who were about to fulfill their role as apostles or sent ones. Now just imagine this. They were disciples, they were learners, now they're apostles, they are sent ones. And those particular disciples had a very special role. They were, their teaching became the foundation for the church of which Jesus is the cornerstone. But the teaching of the apostles, that's why when people say, well, I just think the Lord this, you got to say, okay, I need, how does that happen? Well, just seems to me, I have a, my pastor in the mountains, Randy Parker, who was a really fine preacher in very mountain, uh, said that, you know, this one lady was talking to him and, and she said, uh, well, pastor, I just believe so and so. And he said, but ma'am, the Bible says. And she said, yeah, but I just think. And he said, but the Bible says. And this went on for a little bit. And she said, well, my grandmama always used to say. And he said, but the Bible says. And finally she said, I don't care. She stopped herself. I don't care what the Bible says. That's what a lot of people think. I don't care what others say if the Bible doesn't affirm it. That's the heart we need to take. And no. Glory to us in that stance. Only glory to the God who has revealed himself to us. The God who has created us, redeemed us, revealed himself to us. And given us instruction on how to live. Well, these apostles were now sent ones. We know from Luke 10 and many other places in the New Testament that the role of witnessing was not limited to the twelve. Nor is it limited to the elders of the church. But all are called to spread the good news to the world. Which can happen in multiple ways. And thus ends the limited summary of our text. Three points of application. Beginning with, we receive the kingdom of God. We do not build it. You are going to need some proof for this. I'm thinking that you're thinking. I'll give biblical support in a moment. But let me ask you, what is your initial reaction to this point? Does it concern you that if we take this as truth, that people will quit worrying about expanding the kingdom by the gospel, we should have learned by now, we don't expand the kingdom, but we have a role to play when, as God does expand the kingdom. First, let me say this. 
Never determine what scripture means or build your doctrine on the foundation of, I just don't want people to get the wrong idea. That is a bad way to do it. That's one of the ways we say, yes, but, I know the Bible says that, but, I need to help the Holy Spirit out a little bit here. You, you can't do that. Take scripture for what it says, even if it doesn't fit your system. And, it, it, and I promise you two things. You have to have a system if you're going to study the Bible. You can't do it without. You just can't read willy-nilly. You've got to have a system of sorts. And we can talk about that later, what that means. But, but, it, but every system at some point is going to get in the way of truth. And you're going to have to make a decision. And you don't want to just make Scripture say Something you think will help in your system. If that makes sense. If not, let's just close in prayer and go. No. Uh, we should seek to understand the truth of Scripture, then believe it and with the Holy Spirit's help, obey it when obedience is required. If we say that salvation is of God... There might be a concern that such belief takes away the responsibility for us to believe in the gospel or believe in Jesus, believe the gospel, and it eliminates the impulse for missions. But it should do neither. God is the full and active agent in our salvation. We are responsible to believe and we're responsible to witness as we go to the far corners of the world sharing the gospel. Hebrews 10, 28 and 29 says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with a reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Combine this with Jesus' words from last week. That the kingdom was among the Pharisees or standing right in front of them. And then there is Colossians 1.13 which tells us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's just like, remember last summer, not, not this past summer, but the one before last. In 2020, we're talking about Romans 5 through 8. We're all in Adam. Christ is, when you hear the, the, that Christ is the second Adam, we sing about it in Heart the Herald Angels Sing. We're all in Adam. All of us are born. We are in Adam. Those who believe are taken out of Adam and put into Christ. So we belong to one of these two families. If we are in Jesus, we're no longer in Adam. The problem is, as we were being taken out, Adam grabbed hold of a foot. You know, it's not written like this, believe me, but it just is a picture to possibly help. And even though we are no longer in Adam, he is still in us. And so there's this battle going on all the time. That's what Colossians 13 reminds me of. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's a lot more in the New Testament. Taken as a whole, we begin to understand that we are privileged members 
of a kingdom that is inhabited by a family into which those who believe are adopted. His work, not ours. God builds the church of which Jesus is the head. Do you agree or disagree? I'm sure you agree. And yet, many in the the church, the American church anyway, have a strong desire to impose their sense of morality on the culture. And I am chief among them. I want to do this. And thus, we want to build the kingdom. And this is where it gets tricky. We have the great privilege in our nation to speak to how the culture should approach moral issues, the consent of the governed. Something like that, we call it. But morality and immorality are defined very differently by our citizens. It used to be that any sex out of a God-ordained marriage was sin. Now it's a sin. It is immoral to keep two people from expressing their love to one another, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, whatever else constitutes a relationship. So, that's immoral. No, people don't believe that anymore. We have differences of opinion about what is morality and immorality. Now, I'm over here, but how you treat the environment is moral or immoral in a lot of people's minds. This is where it gets tricky for me because there are so many things I want to say, but i got to stop. If you're convinced that the church needs to step up and bring Christ's rule to bear in the land, is it possible that you're seeking to build a kingdom? This could mean that you have strong opinions about vaccine mandates or racial injustice or immigration or prison reform or the right to life or just go on. We could, we, we could stay here all day long. And you have every right to speak to these matters and I hope you do. I surely do. But do not confuse them with contributing to the building of God's kingdom. Perhaps one of the reasons that we find a significant shift away from kingdom language in the New Testament epistles toward covenant family and gospel language is that the Lord knows our tendency to work at building the kingdom rather than receiving the kingdom. That's why in Luke 22, right after, right after the Lord's Supper, Jesus starts talking about the kingdom, and they're, and they're like, I'm going to be better than you are in the kingdom. I'm going to be. They, they missed everything. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. This bread and this wine represent my body and my blood. And they're like, okay, yes. Now, let's talk about the kingdom. And let's talk about our positions in the kingdom. Our Western culture, which has indeed been based on biblical morality, more or less, for the last 200, 250 years, and even before that in Europe, it is gone. 
Augustine, who lived during the last days of the Roman Empire, saw clearly what the implications of pagan rule in the land were for the church as the world faced a dark age. Now, I think we've already entered our new dark age. 2020 is a year that historians going to look back and say this is when, when it officially began. You may think, oh, we've got so much technology. I'm telling you, we're, in, we're heading for and we're already in a dark age. To prepare the church for the difficult days ahead, Augustine wrote an extremely important book called The City of God. <laughs> and one of our elders, it seems like, is always reading The City of God. Jim is reading that now. And it's not an easy read, but it's an important one. He wrote of two civilizations, the city of God and the city of man. One does not overtake the other. It's not that the kingdom of God builds out until it becomes the only kingdom left. Until Jesus returns, neither kingdom will overtake the other. But they will of necessity, kingdom of God, kingdom of man, city of God, city of man, of necessity, coexist with and in tension. Making sense? Clear as mud? John Halsey Wood Jr. says this, Augustine counsels neither withdrawal from nor accommodation to the city of man. Augustine counsels peace just like I believe it was Jeremiah told the Israelites, make, build houses, make friends with the Babylonians, get along as best you can. I'll bring you back in due time. Now, this quote seems to be in line with 1 Timothy 2, 1-2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who were in high positions that we might lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So pray that the government will let us alone to serve God and serve one another in our community and also to be able to share this gospel to the world. Paul goes on in the next two verses to say that he desires that God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Which leads to our second point. Our message and our task are urgent. I don't know how many times I can get away with this, saying this, but, but I'm going to say it one last time. We'll cover the meaning of this point more fully next Sunday. If Jesus is going to return, and if only those who hear the preaching of the gospel can be saved, according to Romans 10, then our message is urgent, and so is our task. Interesting, isn't it, that the angels didn't allow the apostles to keep gazing into heaven, but they turned their attention back to the earth, <coughs> knowing or telling them, informing them that Jesus will return, but there's work to do now. The apostles, in obedience to Jesus' command, returned to their meeting place in Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit. The disciples had been with Jesus for approximately three years before he was crucified, and now they were with him off and on 
for 40 days after his resurrection. They had received new instructions about the kingdom. And before we gather at the Lord's table, let's consider our last point. As we go, and that's the idea of the Great Commission, as you go, preach the gospel to all nations. It's Great Commission language for believers who are taking the gospel to the world. If we are into kingdom building, it's going to be hard for us to rest in God's sovereign rule over the world. If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, we can rest. If we think we've got to build the kingdom, it's going to be difficult to rest. What a shame. Indeed, if we preach the gospel and others don't believe, and we're building the kingdom, we'll feel like we failed. What a shame it is when churches require missionaries to report robust, robust conversions in a land where the spiritual ground is hard and dry. So if someone goes to an African nation <clears throat> and reports a hundred baptisms in a year, and someone goes to a Middle Eastern nation and reports zero baptisms in the year. Are we really going to compare and say, well, these guys are getting it done, these guys are not. So maybe we just need to put all our support over there. If we're building kingdom, we might only go where there's success. <clears throat> if we're into kingdom building, and our candidate is not elected, that perhaps we were just too slack in our efforts to influence the moral state of our nation and our community. If we don't take a stand against the culture that we are certain is displeasing to God, then we're failing to do our part in the kingdom. But is that what the kingdom is all about? Jesus taught us to re render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And to render to God the things that belong to God. Preach the gospel. Our message and our task are urgent. Do not get distracted from your priority by cultural disputes. And do not get discouraged when people don't believe the gospel that you preach. Evangelism is a primary task of the church. But winning souls is up to God. Sharing the gospel is... Successful evangelism. We're not yet persecuted like first century Christians were. Many of whom were called to martyrdom. For their allegiance to Christ. And for their commitment to the gospel. We still enjoy the freedom to share the gospel to whoever will listen in our land. But the day may come when our best witness will be the way that we live and, that we and the way that we love Jesus and love one another. And even as we enjoy the freedom in our day, some of our brothers and sisters around the world are risking their lives by sharing the gospel. Someone has just been found out. In North Korea or Saudi Arabia.
And they're, they're not long for this world. They're in the kingdom for eternity. I realize there are a lot of blanks that I'm leaving for you to fill in on your own this week about the kingdom. But I want to close with another quote from John Halsey Wood Jr. And in an article he wrote in Modern Reformation titled Christian Culture is Over. And he told us that we need to quit worry about culture building, which is described as kingdom building. And start living as we're called to live in the city of God that exists in this world. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. Quote. If you never thought about this, it's going to mess with your mind and you're going to say, I, I'm not sure, I, I can't go there. If you want to save the world, then pilgrims must do these things. Preach the gospel, minister the sacraments, and pray. Thereby, the earthly city is exposed. And the world is invited, even allured, to another. Citizens of the city, city of man are attracted to the city of God. You might not have thought about the Lord's Supper in this way. It's why it becomes so routine to many. But as we partake, we are proclaiming our belief to the gospel. And yes, just by partaking, we are preaching the gospel. To a lost world that sooner or later will discover what we're doing and hopefully will want to know why. Although our commitment to missions extends far beyond what we do on Sunday mornings in our church service. What we are doing here, what we are doing here, if you will, is the work of missions. It's where it begins. Now, it doesn't end here. We'll talk a lot more about what our missionaries, the missionaries that we support, are doing all over the world. But it begins right here. We're grateful to be receiving the kingdom and to be given shelter from God's judgment. For our God is a consuming fire. When people... Go to marriage counseling. And the counselor discerns very quickly. These are really great people. What happened? One of the things that they do is they try to remind them. What was it? What, what, what was it that attracted you to one another? When we come here, we're reminded why. We were so grateful when God brought us into a kingdom. And don't make too much of this. But just think about this language. As you receive the elements, we're receiving the kingdom of God. If you're saved, you're already saved. But we affirm our belief in the gospel. And in so partaking, we preach the gospel. And there is judgment for those who don't believe. Thank God we are in the kingdom. 
Because our God is a consuming fire. So I'm going to ask the elders and deacons and worship team to come forward as we prepare to serve. And I'm going to give instructions as they come forward. I'm going to do things a little differently than we've been doing since we've been using the individual communion packets. We're continuing to use them today. But we're going to do it a little differently. We still have the package, and you're going to come forward to receive these from the elder or deacon who is in front of you. But instead of taking it back and then partaking, take it back to your seat and just wait. And when we're all served and seated, then we will partake together. So we'll be coming in these interior aisles. There will be ushers to show you when to come, when your row is to go. Go to the section, go to the, to the server who is in front of your section So you come the interior aisles, you go back up the center or the outer aisles. And if you are unable to come or choose for some reason not to come forward, uh, there is uh, Colby Elmore in the back, one of our deacons who will serve you. Just raise your hand and Colby will uh, find you and serve you. And then when we are all served, we will um, partake. Together, I am going to serve the worship team first. They will go and prepare. And then the elders and deacons will come to lead us. So to prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. Hear these words from 1 Corinthians 11. Beginning with verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered, delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So we're backwards, present, forward, just as the Lord instructed the disciples in Acts chapter 1. If you are a believer, we invite you to join with us in this meal. If you have not yet trusted Christ, and we ask that you abstain you choose to take we're not going to stop you but if you this is a meal for believers if you are not a believer then think about the significance what is being done here we were sinners something had to be done about our sin God sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect life fulfilled the law he wasn't a sinner which made him the perfect sacrifice and when he died on the cross God's wrath that Our God is a consuming fire. He can do nothing different. His wrath was poured out onto Jesus. And those who cry out and acknowledge their sins and ask the Lord to save them for Jesus' sake are saved. They believe that Jesus took their place. 
As I said last week, it's a very simple prayer, but it involves your entire life. You're saying, Lord, I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to you. 1 Corinthians 11 encourages us to examine ourselves before we partake. This will be a time for you to ask, to confess any sins that uh, are going on this week. And don't say, well, I've committed that sin a thousand times, so I better not come. No, no, that's not the point. Come, receive forgiveness, repent in your heart. Just ask the Lord to forgive you for those sins and gladly receive the forgiveness that he has given us as symbolized in the bread and the juice. So if you would, bow your heads for a moment and then I will close. Father, we confess that we are sinners. We confess that we often seek to be great great ones in the kingdom of God. We confess that we miss it altogether. We confess that we don't care about living righteous lives in in a world that needs to see the holiness of God. Not our holiness, but the holiness of God. We confess our sins in Thought, word, and deed. We confess that we have done things we ought not to have done. And we have left undone things that we ought to have done. Lord, forgive us for our sins for Jesus' sake. And as we come to this table, may we partake by faith. Knowing that you meet with us this morning. In a special way. We do this as a proclamation of the gospel, as a a, a sense of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, for our sanctification and good, as wrought by the Holy Spirit. So we give thanks for this meal. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll serve worship team and then they will prepare to lead us thank you for listening to audio from grace community church located in north carolina feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission for more information about grace community church go to graceccnc.org